the action shifts to a very small German village about two miles away, where the Pavlohrad Hussars are stationed. Here we meet back up with Nicholas Rostov, who is a cadet or ensign, which is the lowest level of rank for someone who is still deemed an officer. We find out that he, coming from an aristocratic family, is able to share the best quarters in the village with the squadron commander, who is Cavalry Captain Denisov, commonly called Vaska. Now, Vaska was a very rural abbreviation for Ivan. Vaska would be calling someone named Robert Bob, Theodore Teddy, or Henry Hank. In the early hours of sunlight, Nikolai came back from a foraging expedition. He's full of youthful energy and exuberance and bounces off his horse. And then he calls to his servant, Ah, Bandarenko, my dear fellow, walk him up and down for a bit, my friend. While polite, it's clear that he's speaking to someone he deems as lower social status. And Tolstoy specifically refers to Bandarenko as a Ukrainian. And Bandarenko responds, Write, Your Excellency. It's pointed out that Nikolai was treated so well because he was often liberal in paying out gratuities to those who took care of him. So before we move on, let's re-examine the regiment that he's in, the Pavlograd Hussars. Pavlograd, or in Ukrainian, Pavlohrad, is a city in central east Ukraine, in the Nipopetrovsk Oblast. Presently, it's the center of a major railroad junction in the West Donetsk Basin, strategically quite important in the Ukrainian-Russian War. It's also considered one of the oldest modern settlements of that oblast. Starting around 1660, there were settlements of Zaporizhian Cossacks before it was named in 1783 for the future Tsar Paul. Pavel is a translation of Paul, and Pavlograd essentially means town of Paul. Now, the Hussars, that name and identity stems from Hungarian as well as Serbian tradition. In the 15th and 16th centuries, the Serbian and Hungarian Hussars were light cavalry units, known for their distinctive type of dress and the way that they operated as a unit. By the 19th century in the Russian Empire, they wore distinctive hats, braided jackets, had somewhat fancy curved swords, they held a reputation of being some of the most daring units in the entire army. And some of the daily habits of a lot of the hussars included drinking heavily, fighting, and gambling. In action, they would often be first in the attack, or counterattack. They were armed and protected relatively lightly to allow for their notorious speed. Some hussar units endured severely high levels of casualties and many were made up of the descendants of Ukrainian Cossacks of the Cossack Hetmanate, which was abolished by Catherine the Great. Significantly, one of the characteristics of the Napoleonic Wars was the development in those fighting of the idea of nations, and despite many Ukrainians serving in Russian units, Ukrainians were examining their place in what was an imperial army. That was a system that displaced their hetmanate, 
which had some characteristics of democracy, like electing one's leaders and having something of a parliament. The Hetmanet also incorporated many of the individual ideals that the founding fathers in America promoted, namely freedom from government. So some of these Hussar units, though not Nicholas's, consisted largely of Ukrainians or Cossacks using their traditional ways and systems of command. Their participation and awareness of how the world was changing eventually led to claims of a separate national identity. Now the Cossack name itself is Turkic in origin and means something like adventurer or freeman. Cossack numbers greatly grew from the 15th to 17th centuries and contained a variety of ethnicities from the surrounding empires or kingdoms, including Poland, Muscovy, the Ottoman Empire. At various times, Cossacks would ally with each of these factions against others. But as a generality, Cossacks often fought with and for the Poles until the end of the 1600s and then the Russians in the 1700s and 1800s. When Polish authorities controlled much of what is today Ukraine, they used the term Ukraine to mean land of the Cossacks, where a separate language was developing. During the war, imperial authorities in Russia needed men to serve and die. So within the effort, they often let the Ukrainians maintain their cultural ways. There were governmental promises of recognition by an office that dealt with hereditary claims. This involved rights to land, the obligation to pay taxes, the right not to be a serf or have serfs as a landowner, educational admission, the rights to government jobs, as well as freedom in religious practices. Ukrainians, some who may have been serfs, like the servant referenced as Banderenko, who was taking care of Nicholas's horse, they were very much looking for a level of respect for their service and had an eye towards national autonomy which in the years to come would be spearheaded by individuals such as Taras Shevchenko, who was born a simple serf, but became the spiritual father of modern Ukraine with his poetry and artistry. So even though we only see Banderenko in the role of someone providing service, Tolstoy at least acknowledges here the existence of Ukrainians, and that's noteworthy. So back to Nikolai. After he came back, along with a small platoon, after foraging for hay, he exchanged very pleasant greetings with the German landowner of the home he was staying at, who is described as busy clearing manure. This was a man up very early, working his property, who was happy to be housing the Russians. They wish each other pleasantries like good morning, schon gut morgen. And then they exchange hurrah for the Austrians, hurrah for Alexander, hurrah for the whole world. But once Nikolai gets inside, he realizes that Denisov has not come home. And he suspected that his squadron commander had been out gambling and losing. And he was right. In this chapter, Tolstoy is really getting into the realities of military life, one which he very much lived and survived. So Denisov comes in lamenting his luck. 
how he's lost so much and couldn't catch a card. In his disagreeable mood, he begins to ramble about wanting to get a woman and then wanting to get into action. He notes there's really nothing to do but drink nowadays. He then instructs Rostov to count the coins in his wallet or purse. He owes a fellow officer some money who's soon going to be by to collect. Rostov does so obediently. So this is a very interesting and subtle dynamic because Rostov is an aristocrat, yet he's in the Hussars, where Vaska or Denisov is something of a commoner but has excelled to leadership and can issue Nicholas instructions. Denisov also gets a description. He is described as a little man with a red face, sparkly black eyes, and a black mustache. Ultimately, Rostov counts seven old coins and three new. What denominations, we don't know. But there was some gold there. Soon, there's an interruption at the door. It's a Lieutenant Telianin, who nobody seems to like. As he enters, Nikolai stows the wallet under Denisov's pillow. Telianin is described as never looking at anyone in the eyes, always glinting around for an opportunity and having a damp little hand, which Rostov was loath to shake. Turns out the lieutenant had sold Rostov his horse, Rook, for 700 rubles, and Nikolai doesn't think he was worth it. When asked about how the horse is, Nikolai responds that there's a problem with the hoof, and Telianin doesn't think this is a big deal, and tells Rostov he will teach him how to shoe the horse properly. He tells Rostov to go get the horse, and there is a moment that Telianin is in Denisov's quarters alone, and he takes that opportunity to steal the commander's wallet. As Nikolai returns, Denisov is busy writing a letter to a faraway love, as he has a bottle of vodka by him and eats some sausage. He explains to Nikolai what love means to him. He says, we are asleep, dust in the earth until we love. And when one falls in love, we become as gods. This is a wonderful characterization by Tolstoy of a true person with real emotion who is soon going to be thrown into war. The time is coming where the sergeant major is going to come to collect on the debt. Denisov realizes he likely doesn't have enough. At first, Nikolai offers to cover the debt, but Denisov doesn't like the idea of taking gambling money from one of his close friends. And when Denisov goes to look for the money he does have in that wallet, underneath his pillow, he sees that it's gone. And he goes into a panic, flipping over furniture, tearing the place apart. He's even blaming another servant, Lavrushka, which also can be a Ukrainian name. While Lavrushka is helping him look for the money, Denisov is saying, find it, or I will horsewhip you both. And while he doesn't touch Nikolai, he does grab his orderly and knock him against the wall. Nikolai's words stop the attack. He says, let him be, I realize who has taken it. And then he goes off on his own adventure. He gets on his horse and goes out searching for Telianin. He feels that he has suffered a personal affront in the manner only someone from an aristocratic background can truly feel. Denisov even tries to stop Nikolai from going out, as he doesn't want him creating a scene going after someone higher in rank. 
put Nikolai Tracks Tenelin down at a tavern about two miles away. He sees him eating sausage and drinking wine with a few other officers present. He sees Tenelin start to pay and gets to examine the purse. Without accusing him, he asks to inspect it. But at some point, they exchange a level of glances where Nikolai is making his intention known just by the look. Tolstoy describes it as sparks flowing in the gazes between one another. Nikolai then puts his hands on the lieutenant and kind of drags him over to the window. And bear in mind, you have two instances of characters getting physical. Denisov did it to his servant, something he could never get punished for. But here Nikolai is doing it to someone higher in rank. Nikolai then accuses, that money is Denisov's, and you took it, he whispered in a soft but firm voice. And there was despair in the response, like, what? How dare you? The look and response confirmed all of Nikolai's suspicions. It was as good as a confession. Telianin says, Count, do not ruin a young man. Here is the money. Take it. And he throws it on the table and then mumbles something about having an old father and mother, kind of a plea for sympathy. And Rostov then does something very unusual. He has the money, he's making his way to the door, and something compels him to ask, how could you have done it? Telianin then reaches towards Nikolai. Rostov then says, do not touch me. If you need the money, then take it. And he flings the purse at him and leaves. <laughs> 